We're in our series called Wisdom in Everyday Life, and here's what we've been saying. Wisdom is a masterful understanding about the way life works. If you want to be successful in life, you have to have wisdom. Now, wisdom does not guarantee you success in life, but you cannot be successful in life without wisdom. And you know, I'm thinking through the series, and I'm loving everything that's happening, because here's why. We feel like sometimes, oh man, we have a God who's created all of this, and he's beautiful, and we say something like that, and we say, then what does this have to do, though, with my job? What does this have to do with my parenting? What does this have to do with how I handle my everyday life? And, and it feels like there's this big jump between singing what we just sang and the practical stuff of life, and the link between the two is wisdom. And last week what we did is we finished laying the foundation of wisdom. So I think we spent five weeks laying the foundation of wisdom, and that was chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. Now, here's something changes now. As we move beyond laying the foundation of wisdom, as we read through Proverbs, what happens is the book of Proverbs starts throwing a bunch of one-liners our way, just these nuggets of information over and over and over again. And almost like we're being pelted with this wisdom. And, and, and then when you read through it, here's what you notice. There are some core areas of life being explained by wisdom. There are core areas of this is the way you ought to live, and wisdom is helping you understand those most important areas of your life, speaking wisdom into it. And today, we see, uh, and that's what we're going to do from here on out. Here's the core areas that wisdom says you got to focus in here. Uh, This is going to change your life if you focus in here. And today we see potentially one of the most important areas that wisdom spends a considerable amount of time talking about. And here's what it is. Your words. You say, why would Proverbs, why would this book of wisdom spend so much time talking about our words? And the answer is because there is much power behind the words that you speak. There's probably far more power and influence in the words that you speak to others than you are realizing. And today, today as we're, what we're going to do, because normally we'll read all the verses we're going to tackle right in the beginning. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to say, okay, here as we look through the facets of your words, here are the Bible verses that talk about this because Proverbs is really like throwing a bunch of one-liners at us. So the first facet we're going to look at is your words and you. Meaning the words that you speak, here's how they affect you. The words that you speak to others, here's how they affect you. So Proverbs 18.7, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 10.6 Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So our words, this is what it's saying, our words will bring flourishing into our life or ruin into our life. Your words, it is likely that your words that you are speaking are doing one or the other. 
They're either bringing flourishing into your life or they're bringing ruin into your life. One way or another, maybe inching you along one way or the other, but each word that you speak is likely doing one or the other. And the, ver- the last verse that I read, here's what it's saying. The wise person watches what they say. They conceal, they guard their mouth, meaning they are very careful about the words that they speak. They're catching their words before they come out versus the one who opens wide their mouth. You open wide your mouth, meaning you're not catching your words. You're just speaking. Everything that you want to say is just coming out. And it says, if you do that, it will cause ruin in your life. Why? Because your words are a product of your character. And the wise person has realized by walking close to God, I'm growing in my character, but the wise person also realizes this. I've still got a lot of growing to do. You ask a wise person if they're wise and they say no. And that's the sign of their wisdom. Because here's what happens. When you walk close to God, he's growing you, but at the same time, you are walking close to the living God. And so you realize, wow, I have a lot more growing to do. I can grow in character far more. So here's what you do. You say, well, then if that's the case, I better watch my words because there's going to be words that I say that are not coming from a good place. That's what the wise realize. That there are things that you want to speak that might not be coming from a healthy perspective in your soul, and so you catch your words. Maybe you say, well, shouldn't I just be growing in my character? I mean, wouldn't this fix the problem? Yes, of course. But the wise realizes, I'm a work in progress. So I better catch my words. I better watch what I'm saying. I better listen. I better, okay, before I say this, let me just assess what's going on inside of my soul before I speak. Speak this to somebody. You know the, the phrase, you put your foot in your mouth? Like, well, just picture real quick, just a gross foot, like a hairy foot. I'm not talking about your foot, but just picture one. It's just like gross, nasty foot. And Okay, so you speak words that you ought not speak, and it's the same as putting this gross foot in your mouth. Uh, or of a, a better way to think of it is because it's saying you open wide your mouth and so you, everything's just coming out. And here's how to think, think about it. Someone who does not catch their words, who, who just opens wide their mouth, it's like their tongue is long enough to cut their own throat because they're speaking words that are harmful to them. And you've probably seen people do this. Someone says something in like a group of people, a group of friends, or maybe in a meeting or something, and it's just kind of like, oh, wow. That was like, it's not like super bad, but it was enough to make people feel a little uncomfortable, cause a little bit of tension. And, and the person who opens wide their mouth, they're doing this over and over and over again. And they start wondering why people are treating them a little bit differently than they're treating everybody else. They start to wonder why maybe someone else in their life, people all around them are getting raises, but they are not. They wonder why, ah, you know, why is everybody doing this to me but not to everybody else? What's going on here? You look at successful people, 
And probably what you're going to find is those successful people have chosen their words very carefully. They've caught what they're going to say at times. You think of someone that everybody, just think of someone that everybody likes, everybody trusts. It is likely that they have gotten very good at catching their words, and it is likely that they have learned the right words to say at the right time, and that's why they're successful in life. So, have you, ever, have you ever watched, you know, this happens in movies a lot, like there's someone who's very powerful. There's someone else who's talking to them. And they're maybe not careful about their words, and the powerful person says, you ought to choose your words carefully right now. Right? We've seen that happen. But you know what the wise person does? The wise person lives their entire life like that. The wise person is always very careful about the words that they are speaking because here's why. The wise do not show partiality. The wise do not show favoritism. The wise realize that everybody is made in the image of God. Everybody is important to God. And so they treat people all with wisdom, thinking everybody is important. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know how we have this tendency to talk to people differently if we do not think that they are important people. We do this. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And the wise don't do that. Or you think about this. Maybe you're fighting with your spouse. And you're feeling yourself getting frustrated. You're feeling yourself getting angry. And this, these are the times when like, we open our mouths. And here's what's happening, though. Perhaps there's something going on inside of our soul. There's anger building. There's frustration building. There's things that aren't healthy building up. Those are the times where we ought to catch our words more. Those are the times perhaps our character is revealed. Maybe our character is getting out of whack, but maybe our character is being revealed in those times. And those are the times we need to catch our words and then later say, okay, what was going on with me? Why was I about to say the things I was going to say? But not only, so harm to you, your words to others bring harm to you, but not only do your words to others bring harm to you, but your words to others, or flourishing to you, but your words to others can bring harm healing or harm to others. All right, your words and others. Listen to this. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. Our verses, these verses are saying, we can either be stabbing people and harming them, or we can be stitching them up and healing them. Our words can take those who are emotionally unhealthy at the moment, and we have words that we are able to speak to them that bring gladness to them. You are either sending people to the hospital with your words, 
or you are like a doctor in the hospital bringing healing, stitching people up, or you are speaking words to people who are not in the hospital bringing greater life to them, speaking encouraging words to them. So you think about the words community and communication. If you're going to have good community, if you're going to have good unity amongst people, amongst a group of friends, amongst your coworkers, if you're going to have good unity, you have to have wise communication. The two are bound together. They're linked together. And we're in a society right now that cuts and divides with our words. We get in our corners and we start throwing bombs at people. But the wise use their words to bring unity, to bring encouragement to the friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. So, you know, Facebook has become a place where we're throwing bombs. And we get in our corners, and all we're doing essentially is, I mean, come on, all we're really doing is causing division. So if you want to see a display of foolishness, go on your news feed, and what you're going to find is you see a bunch of friends just stabbing each other just throwing words at each other that are stabbing them, sword thrusts into their friends. Now you might say, well, I'm just sharing my opinion. Yes, you are sharing your opinion in a very foolish way. Because who are you convincing? Who are you moving from one side to the other through the words that you are sharing on Facebook? Nobody. That never happens. So what's going on? Well, we're just acting foolish. We aren't accomplishing anything. So the wise have words that bring healing and unity. And they bring those who are anxious into gladness. The emotionally broken people. Us, whoever's emotionally broken. The people in your life long for the wise, healing words of those with wisdom. Your words are more powerful than you realize. Be intentional about what you speak. You can bring unity in your groups of friends, in your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. You can bring healing to those that are hurting. And do you know one of the, the most harmful things to unity. One of the most harmful things to someone's emotionally healthy. You know what it is? It's gossip. I was listening to a podcast. This, this guy that's running this business organ, I mean, this huge organization, very successful organization. He says the most harmful thing that happens to our organization is gossip. So what they do is if they catch somebody gossiping, they give them one warning that happens again they just fire him. They say, you're gone. Because it, it destroys the unity that's within the organization. And here's, what he, here's how he defined gossip. It's talking bad about someone to someone who can't do anything about it. Talking bad about someone to someone who can't do anything about it. Or here's another way to define gossip. Confessing others' sins to others. Confessing someone else's sins to others. So the wise confess their own sin to others, but fools confess other sins to others. Proverbs 26-22 says, The words of a whisperer 
that words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body, meaning these whispers, these gossips, they feel good, but they're hurting your soul. They're destroying unity amongst, amongst you and your friends or whoever else it's, being, it's, it's happening between. You take, if, there's, if there is dissension among your group of friends or any group of friends, I bet you that there's gossip happening somewhere. And the wise understand that an encouraging word brings healing and flourishing. We all need people who are encouraging. The people who have been most helpful in my life are people who have stood in my corner and been encouraging to me. And we all need people who are encouraging to us. We say, okay, well, does that mean I can't, like, correct anybody? No. That's a good thing. I mean, it says that in Proverbs. We ought to correct people, but there's a difference when you correct someone at the opposite corner as them versus if you're in their corner and you're correcting them. It's received much differently. Stand in people's corner. And when someone knows you and they share information with you and you know that they're on your side, you know that they're on your team, you receive that far differently than if you feel like they're opposed to you. We've gotten, we have gotten obsessed with being the hero of our own story, and we have lost this fine art of being a guide to people, of being an encourager to people, of rooting them on versus just kind of rooting ourselves on over and over and over again. Proverbs 12, 26 says that the wise are a guide to others. We need to be more like Yoda you know, we want to be Luke Skywalker, but the wise say, ah, I'm okay with not being the hero right now. I want to encourage someone else to be the hero. And the wise also understand that the right words should come at the right time. Proverbs 12, 3 says a prudent man conceals knowledge. Prudent is this is kind of another word for wisdom, but there's other places in Proverbs where it says the wise man reveals knowledge. So is the wise man supposed to conceal knowledge or reveal knowledge? Is the wise woman supposed to conceal knowledge or reveal knowledge? And the answer is yes, both. It depends on the situation. There's right words that can be spoken at the right time and wrong word, right words to be spoken at the wrong time. And sometimes we're silent when we should speak. I've found that um, parenting, for me at least, is when my kids are upset, there are words that I could speak to them that are correcting words that actually make them more upset. And there are words that can reset them and calm them down. There's a, there's a Bible verse that says, Do not provoke your children. Now, why is the Bible saying that? Because we have tendencies to do that. Like, our kids drive us crazy. And it's very easy to say things to provoke them. Like, we just kind of want, want to do it. And the Bible is saying, no, don't, don't do that. Because there's actually words that you can speak to them that reset them. Or, or, or any, our spouse. That might be even easier to do. <laughs> why well, there's laughing. You see... Catch your words. 
when our kids are upset, the wise understand this is an awesome teaching opportunity. When our children do something wrong, these are teaching opportunities. These are times that we could probably impact our kids more if everything was going good. So provoking. So, you, you know, a lot of the bombs that we throw on Facebook, these are ways to provoke people. And what, I don't know what it is about humanity. I don't know what it is about us, but we really like, do, we like provoking people. And here's, I mean, essentially what we're doing is we are villainizing other people who are on the opposite side of us, and then we start throwing bombs in a way to start provoking them. And when they get angry, we kind of are laughing inside, and it makes us feel good. Why is that? Why do we do that? I don't know, but we do. And the Bible says the wise do not do that. You think of your friends, you think of your coworkers, and here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Are you for them or are you against them? Are you jealous or are you rooting them on? Are you competing with them or are you rooting them on? See, because if you're in their corner, you can, you can trust your words a little bit more. But if you are not in their corner, if you're jealous, if you're envious, if you're competing with them, you might want to catch your words before they come out. Because it's likely that it's coming from a bad place in your soul. Okay, so maybe you're asking right now, okay, I get it. Words are important. Okay, fine. How do I know what the right words to say are? Well, you need wisdom. But, you know, how do you get this? How do you know the right words? Here, here's how. All throughout Proverbs, it talks about how the, the wise don't speak a lot. And the reason is because they're doing a lot of listening. And they're thinking as they listen. And they're taking measurements of what are the right words that I ought to speak right now. I'm for this person and not against this person. What are the words that I should speak to them right now? And, and, and listen, this is still, we have not done justice on the power that our words have. Watch this. Your words actually have the power to bring life or death. Your words have the potential to bring, to bring an eternal impact on people, to make an eternal impact. So your words and life and death, Proverbs 18.21, listen to this. I mean, this is, this is like what everything we're saying rests upon. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Meaning, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Those who love it eat its fruits. Meaning, you're reaping whatever you're sowing with your words. And when the book of Proverbs talks about life and death, here's how you got to understand it. There's a trajectory when the book of Proverbs thinks of life and death. There's a path, one of life, the other of death. And you're on either one. And you can speak words to people to move them along further into being more alive, more into the person that they are made to be. Or you can speak words that lead them in the opposite direction, closer to death. And what do you mean by that? Well, you think about the purpose, purposelessness of death. You think about the void. You think about the emptiness. And essentially what you're doing is you're making people closer to that. You're moving them in the direction of death. 
You're draining them of life through the words that you speak. Your words are fruit that will do one or the other. Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs eleven thirty, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. In other words, you can lead people through your words into eternal life, moving them closer and closer and closer to what it is to live an eternity with God. Or, you can move them in the direction that is opposite of that. Your words are able to bring heaven now. Your words are able to help people taste the sweetness of heaven even now. Or, your words help people taste the bitterness of death now. And here's how you should think of it. When heaven invades the earth, it brings joy, it brings gladness, it brings satisfaction, it brings love, and it even brings peace in the midst of our suffering. When heaven comes to the earth, when hell invades the earth, it brings hate and fear and sadness and loneliness and selfishness. When you bring someone who is anxious into gladness, you are moving them along the path of life. They're becoming more alive. If you lead them into more anxiety, you are moving them into more death. They're less alive. They're less living the way they ought to be living, the way they're made to live. You, you can be a spiritual and emotional hospital for people. Now, I mean, do you understand this about our spirituality? Like, here's what is happening. To become spiritually alive. Do you know, the Bible talks about don't be anxious. Well, the, the Bible also gives you tools to not be anxious. And all of them are rooted in a healthy spirituality, which means that if you are healthy spiritually... That means you become more emotionally healthy. You're less anxious. Do you know anxiety is not good for your health, your physical health? Do you know anxiety might take years off of your life? So look at what's just happened. Your spiritual health has led to emotional health, which has led to physical health. And you can help others experience that through your words. doesn't mean all of your problems become fixed when you become spiritually healthy. could create more problems. But some of your problems fade away. Our text is saying that we play a part in helping move people along one way or the other. What an honor to be able to move people further into life through our words. So how do you do this, though? That's, I mean, that's really the question. How do you, all, I mean, there's some depth here. 
How do you offer words that bring heaven now to people? How do you offer words that move people into becoming more and more alive? How do you bring your kids to become more and more alive? These are the words of the Bible. These are the words of God. This is the words of the gospel. This is the words of the good news. When you help someone understand that God loves them enough to die for them, that causes this feeling of, man, God must think I am worth it. Okay, so let's think, let's think about this. So you, you have a friend who loves you. And your friend speaks encouraging words to you. And by doing that, you feel more worth in your life. You feel more alive. Now let me ask you this question. Imagine your friend loves you so much that they actually die for you. That they trade, something's going to happen, and they trade places with you. You're about to die, and they trade places with you, and they die instead of you. And they say before, you're worth the cost. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to start living your life very differently. You're going to say, man, if somebody says I'm worth the cost, I need to rethink everything that I've been doing. I want to make my life count. I want to make my life matter because someone has given up so much for me to live. Now, right? Now imagine this. The living God who has created the world says, you are worth the cost to me. I'm going to endure the worst you are the reason I'm doing this. If we really believed that was true, that would change everything. The God of the cosmos did this for you. See, we think, oh, he did it for everybody. He did it for you. If you really believed that was true, that would really change everything for you. And you would rethink everything. Can you imagine how someone would feel who's been rejected by someone they love? And then you hear of God coming in the world, the Son of God coming in the world to be rejected by his Father because of our sin so that we can be accepted, so that all, all that Jesus has done can be credited to us and all that we've done is credited to him and he experiences an eternal loss on the cross so that we can experience an eternal gain. And now we experience a love from God that does not waver. It does not change. It is constant, pursuing us. That helps you love again, no matter how bad you've been hurt. Someone who's just, these are words to speak to people. Imagine the person who's just lost a loved one. You have words to speak to them. Words like this. God has covered it all. And now, this person that you love is in paradise with God, enjoying every bit of it. You know, that's why Christian funerals are a celebration of life, because we pity the living, not the dead. You know what I mean by that. 
think of the person who is just so ashamed of their sin. They feel so much guilt. You have words of forgiveness. The living God has come, taken their sins, died in their place. Jesus has buried their sins in the ground, never to be talked about again. That brings life, not just later, but now. When you speak these words, you have the joy and the privilege of seeing people become spiritually alive and then also not just affecting them spiritually but infecting all of their life so that now they're on the path of life, experiencing a life that's becoming more and more alive. And it's not just God's words. It's, God's, it's pointing people to God's actions. See, because words are like promises. You know, when, when, we, when, when someone is baptized, when we take communion, do you know what's happening? We're seeing the visible words of God to us. These are God's word made visible through these sacraments. That's the idea of what a sacrament is. And, and listen to this. So, uh, words are like promises. Now, Proverbs twenty six twenty four says, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips. But then a few verses later, it talks about how they're going to eventually be exposed. This wicked person will be exposed. What we find is that sometimes we have to measure the weight of someone's words by their actions. We've been let down by people who've promised much to us and delivered little. Words are like powerful promises, but they're only powerful if they are true. And you know, here's the reality. That when someone promises us something, we ought to say, I mean, we, ought, we ought to keep our expectations maybe a little bit low, waiting for the weight of those words to prove themselves to be true. But we have a problem with God in that we make our expectations of God far too low. It's the opposite. We ought to be doing the opposite thing. When God makes a promise to us, we ought to, to keep high expectations. See, here's what we do. We think of this promise of heaven. We think of this promise of paradise. And we say, it sounds too good to be true. Even if you're a Christian, we are living like we don't really believe it's true. We, we live in such a way like this is as good as it's going to get. But what we need to understand is that the best is yet to come. And how, how do we do that? You measure his promises to you by his actions. You measure the weight of his promises by his actions. Now watch this. These are the visible words. God has already accomplished it, watch. He promises that through faith he will love you no matter what you have done, past, present, or future. That his love for you is constant. It's relentless, coming after you. 
how can you trust that? Because he's already accomplished it. See, the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world is to live a life that is perfect, the life we ought to have lived, and then to die whose death? Our death. He's not dying on the cross to prove he can come alive. He's dying on the cross because that death was meant for us so that he can give us his perfect record and he takes our imperfect record. And do you know what that means now? We are cloaked and covered with the beauty and perfection of Christ. So here's what that means. Love God has for you, it cannot fade because when he looks at you, he's looking at you and seeing you as he sees his one and only son. It's already been accomplished. Measure the weight of God's promise of love for you by the cross. He also promises that he's going to change you into who you're one day made to become. How, how do you know this to be true? Well, when he died, Christ, and broke out of the grave, he breaks life out of the grave. And he leaves all the deadness in the grave, which means now you have access to him who makes you more and more alive and changes you more and more into who you're made to be by going to him. And he's offering you the pleasures of heaven now. Everything rests on the fact, did Jesus really die and rise? And if he didn't, this is stupid. We should leave. But if he did, we should give everything. Not because we have to, because we want to. Because it changes everything. There is one promise, though, that he has yet... There is one promise that we are still waiting to see come true. And that is his promise that he's giving us a new world where all things are made right. We're crying death and pain are gone. Why do we long for that most? Because that's the one we're waiting for. But he's promised it. So what you can do is you can measure the weight of that promise based off of every other promise that he has kept. He has not broken a promise. Just one waiting. And he's promised he's going to come and make all things right. This is the great Christian hope. And if this isn't true, this is stupid. We should just leave. But if it is, it changes everything, even now. So, go and measure his words to you based off of the weight of his actions that have already delivered. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to see the words that you have spoken to us, not as distant promises, not as hogwash, not as, uh, this is crazy religious talk, but help us to see that these promises are true and real, and then show us the weight of the promises that you have made through the actions that you have already accomplished for us on our behalf. God, give us the hope that comes with the cross and resurrection. God, give us the 
peace that comes with the cross and resurrection. God, give us the joy that comes with the cross and resurrection. God, give us the love that comes with it all. Give us the courage that comes with it all so that we might face whatever is before us knowing that you are for us, that you are in our corner, that you aren't against us, but you are for us and you are fighting for us. And let us rest in that truth and let us lean on you and let us come to you so that you might carry us when we need you to, God. God, help us. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.